friends. Welcome to Cultivating Capacity. This is an orthobionomy podcast um, from the offices, not really offices, but really couch in Asheville, North Carolina. My name is Jessica Mark, and I'm an orthobionomy advanced practitioner and instructor in Asheville, North Carolina, the beautiful mountains in Western North Carolina. And we have been excited in the last few months about thinking about how to continue to support our orthobionomy community and how to connect fellow students and practitioners to learn more about what we are all doing in our practices and how to share information and cultivate greater camaraderie and community um, within the orthobionomy community. And so I am grateful to start this process and see where it goes. And I'm excited today to talk to Sarah Schutz. Sarah is an orthobionomy practitioner in Indiana, Columbus, Indiana, as well as a movement educator. And she wears many hats, many different expertise. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jessica. Thank you. It's so exciting. I know. Glad you're here. So today's theme, or the topic that we want to talk about a little bit today, um, is anxiety, and more specifically, teenage anxiety. I think that in my practice, I have begun to see uh, an epidemic of these young, bright, young women and men with incredible anxiety issues, and it's been a a theme that runs deep. I think that it manifests in in very different ways, physically, emotionally, energetically. And so I wanted to bring Sarah on to help us divulge and talk about this topic a little bit more. Um, So Sarah, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about some of the clients that you've had in your practice um, under the, the umbrella of this topic of anxiety and teenagers. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm really grateful that we get to talk about this because it's been troubling to see, um, you know, the teen years are hard for everybody, really. I mean, to yeah. varying degrees, right? It's a, just a really challenging time to be a human Mm -hmm. um, developmentally and I just see this exacerbated elevated rate or um, instances of this off the charts anxiety manifesting in some Mm -hmm. of my clients in ways um, I think maybe the most extreme is that I have a client who has an extreme vasovagal response and mm. passes out um, oh, wow. with very little warning. Um, there are a few triggers they're getting used to. Uh, she and her family are getting used to identifying a little bit better. Um, but it's not just kind of a fainting spell. I mean, she's from conscious communicating to on the floor in just like that, just a millisecond. Wow. Um, she does have a heart condition underlying that syncope that is mm-hmm. um, a contributing like factor. Related. 
Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but then I have another teen who is facing just extreme lethargy that no Ooh. one can medically pinpoint a, a reason for it. She sleeps plenty. It's not just your average teen tired, you know, needing some mm-hmm. extra, extra Z's. Um, basically her system is checking her out of her life in yeah. big swaths of time. Right. Um, migraines. I've got mm. quite a few teens suffering from regular migraines early, earlier than maybe their parents might have or, mm-hmm. or do. So, and it just has really started to, as you said, epidemic is a great word for it. I mean, there's mm. definitely a pattern uh, mm. emerging and um, the overuse perhaps of technology or overexposure mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Do you have ideas about sort of why we're in this state of epidemic proportions in terms of our young people really you know, experiencing this sort of overstimulation of the nervous system anxiety element in droves. Do you have any ideas about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, that technology piece is huge. I sort of, I tend to think that our nervous systems biologically have not advanced to the point that sociologically we're expected to, and culturally, Um, absorb information Mm -hmm. it comes at us at such a faster rate and Mm -hmm. in perhaps more direct ways I mean I don't have the science in my um, wheelhouse to adequately address uh, Mm -hmm. you know photons from a lighted screen whether it's computer or phone or television or versus television maybe yeah. As, as opposed to what information absorption is like from a map page, printed, printed page. Right. right? Well, so, like you said, like the sheer volume yeah. of information coming at us. I mean, it used to be that, you know, we knew the people in our family and the, the people in our community so close near us. Mm-hmm. And and now we can we can know what people in Zimbabwe are doing or Portugal or you know, three miles away at the at the click of a button, and it's and so all simultaneously, all at the same time. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And so I don't think that our systems are mm-hmm. equipped yet. Perhaps over time, you know, that like the evolution be. hasn't that's right. caught up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then at this particular juncture in a developing humans lifespan Mm -hmm. you know we're meant I mean again developmentally when you're an infant and then again when you're a teen you're meant to be malleable and absorb what's going to help continue to shape you us right right and so I think that it's a particularly vulnerable time developmentally um, to try to sort through it can't help thinking about the the endocrine sort of leap that happens um, in that glandular system as teenagers, right? The puberty piece. It's like the real first kind of like 
uh, I, I liken it to jumping over a, a huge stream in one fell swoop, you know, yeah. as opposed to developmentally as a, as a child, I feel like we get to take those little steps and wade in the water a little bit more and notice if that rock is steady enough to hold us. And, but, but in puberty, it's a big leap. And I, and I do feel like there's so much change in the endocrine system and then to be inundated with so much through the nervous system at the same time, it's, and then those two systems, which are really our master control areas, trying to sync up and communicate easily and effortlessly, that's a feat, right? right? Under, <laughs> under any circumstances. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So I'm curious about the, the two clients that you mentioned. Um, have you, have you found things that have been helpful in terms of their different ways they manifest this imbalance? Um, have you found things to, to be a support to their system? I mean, for sure, up front, the trust piece has mm -hmm. just been monumental. Mm -hmm. um, being there with them, with their likes and dislikes, with their system, with respect for the fact that they just came off a full day of school mm. and, you know, into an appointment and they're probably facing homework and maybe they had practice for this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm just allowing them the spaciousness first mm. or or less space if they if recognizing the space that they need right do yeah. they need a little yeah. more showing up do they need a little more backing off yeah um and whether that's just in our intake conversation and you know on the table the, it's probably the, one of the only times they actually feel seen and heard when you can listen and discern like how to meet them in a, in a place that feels supportive as opposed to shuffling them through, you know, the next yeah. client or the next thing that that's on their list of things to do for the day. Yep. Yeah. I mean, even to the extent I offer all my clients, you know, a choice of what they'd like to have on in the background. Mm. But I find with the younger clients and these, these two in particular, it's been a really nice thing to say, Hey, we have, access to all of Spotify. What would, I love it. <laughs> what would you like to listen to? And the, the one, one client created her own orthobionomy playlist after oh, several so sessions. Great. And she had me pull it up from her Spotify and that calmed her nervous system. Wow. So she's resourcing. That's right. She's finding her own ways to self-regulate, which I think is huge. Yeah. yeah. And then having another adult like recognize that and help her system. It's like you met her right where she was and she was able to like gain that trust even more with you because of that. I think. I hope so. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I definitely tried, tried some things that weren't as uh, wildly successful. Yeah. So tell me what didn't my, work. That's um, always intriguing. Right? Um, <laughs> didn't work in the moment. It did not work at all for me to suggest that we play a game. This client, um, part of her, who she is hardwired in, but also I believe part of this larger complex of issues she's dealing with is, um, that she talks 
a lot and often without thinking that she's just stream of consciousness offering mm. banter. Now she comes from a verbose family and they are maybe more talkative than than most and they can carry on multiple streams of conversation at once. I happen to have met most of her family. Um, but I just suggested a, a little game that during session she should absolutely feel free to speak as much as she wants but the mm-hmm. game would be to see if when she's drawn to speak she put in just the tiniest pause and see if she mm. could note in her system you know kind of what was going on and then say the thing if she wanted to yeah um she it was as if I had stuffed a genie oh, that wow. had been released tried to stuff back in the bottle it's like you 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 uh yeah you bottle caps the the nervous system discharge it's like that yep. the, the verbiage was the nervous system needing to process and discharge and you put a cork in it and yeah. then so she imploded was bouncing off her insides by the time we were done i mean her system discharged in other ways but it just yeah. wasn't the fullness of it and you know it's interesting when she came back you know, when we were done, we kind of joked and said, okay, well, that was interesting. And mm. maybe we won't do that again. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but when she came back, she talked about it, you know, she worked that out the rest of the evening. Um, after that session, I think she probably literally bounced around a little bit physically. <laughs> um, she kind of right. tiggered her way out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there, sh- we had cognizant time um, Mm. deliberate conversation to talk about that she now does that sometimes Mm -hmm. or you know takes a moment to pause here and there and sometimes not but she there's just a little fork well yeah it sounds like it was an education at least of introducing an idea of a possibility of something different Mm -hmm. which to me is that whole piece about pausing and listening to the pattern Mm -hmm. and is this the pattern that I want to do is this the pattern that is useful for me now is this the pattern that I need to shift right now what what are my options Mm -hmm. um and she so so to me it's like oh maybe it didn't work in the moment but it definitely was food for thought for her to chew on for later for for the possibility of different changes to come about you know Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Is- isometrics have been good. Yeah. She plays with those a little bit on her own some now. And it's it, it it's the lightest hint. You know, isometrics process differently in all of orthobionomy in everyone's system. Um, and hers, I mean, it takes just just the hint, just the slightest imagining, hint. You do just yep. imagining the isometric with her. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. So she said after she has twisted an ankle, she brought this, this example in just, just our most recent session. It's like, Oh, you know, I twisted my ankle and everybody asked if I needed to get ice, if I needed a thing. And she said, I just held it for a moment where it was most comfortable mm-hmm. and I waited 
And then I waited some more and I thought about it. And then she said, oh, no, actually, it's just fine. So like, great. Oh, my God, you did? So great. <laughs> yeah. There's ortho in action right there. Yep, which I right. then by naming aloud to her, it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's a little bit, you know, she's still passing out regularly but her system mm-hmm. has definitely gained some different coping techniques yeah. toward I'm thinking heading some of this off at the pass right yeah that's what I love about orthobionomy it just it really it, it opens the map of possibility for our system to to make those other choices and I think again like you you've got some clients with how it manifests differently in terms of that vasovagal response. It's like it hits the hits that vagal nerve and the vagal nerve doesn't know anything other to do than to shut down. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so let's pull out all executive functioning and go dark so that we can navigate this overwhelm really to our system. And I think that what's interesting to me about anxiety is that it, it does feel like a revving up or an over, an overexertion, an overstimulation of, of our electrical nervous system. Mm-hmm. And it's not rooted and grounded in the fluidity in the organs, in the in the in the blood flow of our system. And so when that electrical system gets stimulated and it doesn't get to complete the the follow through of its um the discharge of that stimulation, then it it can kind of travel to any place in the body, whether that manifests as headaches or mm-hmm. the vasovagal response or severe pain. I have a client with severe pain in her spine, and you know every MRI and X-ray checks out as negative, but it's kind of it's it's being housed in that space, mm-hmm. and how do we? create this enormity of feels that our society has and stimulation and and then let it move through the body right yep. let it move through yeah it's like it's an oil slick right now it's mm. just it's able to ooze and morph through that nervous system meandering yeah. to as you said all different parts of the bodies where body where it can manifest yeah how to, how to bring it through down and through and out down um, and through and out right yeah, yeah. right integrated into the system in order to let it let right it yeah and that electrical system is this this reactive 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 so it's like pop 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 right and i have to do all these things where to me the beautiful thing about that game that you talked about was you you started to neurologically insert a pause and a dropping in and down which to me is is about the fluids and the organs and when that electrical system can be bathed in the fluidity of the of that myelin sheath for ease of transition and ease of of flow there is it, there begins to be a, a right relationship between the systems. There begins to be a support so that the electrical system doesn't feel like it can has to run off and leave the rest of our body's systems behind. Mm-hmm. But it can actually interweave and, and, and attain better communication 
yeah. with the other systems. And now we have, oh, now we're better able to self-regulate. You know, now we're better better able to navigate pain and dysfunction and imbalance and we can, we can really feel like we we've got our communication turned on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean That's the other cool. the other thing about this teen experience of all you know the exacerbated anxiety is it's such a time of identity mm, and so yeah. I'm, I'm real curious about this overlay of what we were just talking about this nervous system um, responsiveness and the ability to insert a pause at a time in life when you know not yeah. a lot of pausing right it's just the, that that leap like it's happening yeah. physiologically and and endocrine and through the endocrine system yeah um and neurologically like that that well on the you know you mentioned when you were introducing this topic that you know in your practice so many capable highly capable mm -hmm. brilliant little beings mm -hmm. whose identity is is becoming wrapped up in you know but yeah and that's super highly capable one that's yeah. what I have to do all these things and these expectations of the output doesn't yeah. match the neurological ability That's it. to yeah. juggle it all. And then it can then morph into, oh, well, my identity is the kid who passes out all the time. Yes. Yes. And then there's that. <laughs> like, right. And it's, the, it's that balance of the internal and external, internal and external. And as we develop as, as, as preteens and teens, it's the first time to me that we are finding our own footing. Yeah. Finding our own sense of well-being, our own sense of clarity about our two feet that we stand on and not our parents. I mean, in the best case scenario, I think we, you start to orient in a safe space. The hope is, mm -hmm. um, in a in a family unit of this is where safety is and then as we approach those teen years it's like okay but where do i feel that on my own right yep um because you're starting to to gain that independence and then you've got this massive amount of external pressures and and stimulation coming at you and the internal doesn't have a chance you know <laughs> sometimes i'm like oh gosh like how how would you ever see out? How would you ever make sense and organize the internal and the external when there's just an inordinate amount of information coming in that the system can't process? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anything else in your practice that you feel like has helped this specific you know, genre of, of clients? Um, I would say maybe just in, in a little wrap up on it. I feel really strongly that um, whether the parent comes in with the teen or not, that there be this really clear delineation with the teen of what is hers or his and mm. what is parents mm. and being respectful of the parent that I get this is a minor in your care and under your roof and whom you're choosing mm -hmm. to bring to me, yeah. you know. Yeah, that sharing of information, that clarity of boundaries, and you know, a lot of it, I I let them help set up front. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. whether the parent comes in or not, up to them, and um, how 
how that communication flow will be handled. Yeah, I think that's a hard one because they're they are trying to establish their own boundary at that at that point. Mm-hmm. And if you have them also the, the the client tracking the parent in the room while the session is going on, that's that's a whole other yep. uh, thing to track for their systems. Yeah, right. I often will have a conversation with a parent usually at session around session three you know, or four where they have, they have seen what I do. They kind of know um, what's happening. And obviously depending on the age of the child or the, mm-hmm. or the teenager, right. But having a conversation of, of, yeah, talking about like, can we try a session with you outside the room? Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've done it with, I'm just curious what it might look like with you not in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having that be a moment of education about boundaries as opposed to you know, something scary. So I think that's really, that's another important element to bring into the conversation and education. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks. That is, I, I love uh, kind of dissecting a little bit more and diving deeper into some of the, the topics I feel like is always a conundrum of what are other people doing and what is <laughs> happening out there? I know this is what I see in my practice, what's going on out in the world, right? Yeah. Um, so the next part of our, our podcast, we wanted to answer a few mailbag questions. And we have two questions that have come in um, about different parts of our orthobionomy program. So I just wanted to uh, bring those um, into the podcast today. One is from Nate from New York City. He says, hey, I recently took my first orthobionomy class, a phase four extremities class, and was so intrigued. I'd like to study more, but I'm not sure where to go next. Any suggestions? Thanks for your question, Nate. This is a uh, question that we get frequently um, because the orthobionomy practitioner training program, which is about a 505 hour training program for the basic practitioner level, can be confusing about which classes to take in what order. And the beauty of the program is that you can take it in any order that you choose, in any timeline that you choose. Um, But we ask that you usually start with one of our more foundational level classes. Now I say that and different instructors allow you to do different things depending on who you study with. So it's always important to know which instructor you want to study with and what prerequisites they have in their classes. But frequently, many instructors will allow you to start with a phase four class, an exploration of movement class, or an isometrics, isotonics class. And so any one of those are provide you a great foundational uh, support to begin to then after that class move on to potentially phase five and six after that or other options that we have in the program that deal with posture issues or the neurolymphatic points which is our Chapman's reflexes class and so it depends on how much training you have as to where you would like to continue your studies. It's kind of like, where does your passion lead you? 
And I highly advise that after you take maybe two or three classes that you may want to connect with an advisor or instructor that can help you or even another practitioner that may be able to help guide you into what may be best for your next stage of your training. Anything you want to add to that, Sarah? I think that was succinct and fully covered. <laughs> yes, I love it. Bring it on. All right. <laughs> so our next question is from Caitlin in Raleigh, North Carolina. She said, I've learned a lot about orthobionomy from reading and researching online. And many sites recommend starting with phase four, but I haven't taken classes in phase one, two, and three. Where are they in the training and should I start with those classes? That's a great question, Caitlin, because we get that question a lot. And the beautiful thing is that in the development of this work by osteopathic doctor Arthur Lincoln Pauls, he looked back on his work and really felt like his work evolved in phases. And he named those phases from one to seven. And really the first few phases of one, two, and three are the phases in which he felt like he was doing a lot of research and expanding on the work of Dr. Lawrence Jones, but never really felt like it uh, was enough to be uh, succinct in terms of a, a next level or in terms of um, something different or something that worked all the time. So his efficacy rate was not as as profound until he reached what he called phase four. And at phase four, we really deal with joints and structure. And that is the phase that we start with in terms of our training in orthobionomy. So congratulations, Caitlin. You have already done phase one, two, and three. <laughs> <laughs> and you can start right in on phase four or another um, class that doesn't require a prerequisite, such as expiration of movement or isotonics, usually, um, and isometrics. So you might want to check with your advisor or another instructor in terms of what might be a great place to start for you. So Sarah, a couple questions for you. I'd love to know a little bit more about what got you started with orthobionomy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I was living and working in Asheville, North Carolina at a little studio called Happy Body hmm. run by none other than Jessica Mark. I've heard of that studio before. I know. <laughs> the universe dropped me out of the sky hmm. from Indiana into Asheville. I don't know if it was actually the sky. Maybe it was I think so, for sure. Underground or uh, through the water, of... through some element, <laughs> um, maybe all of them. Mm -hmm. Um stars aligned and I got to meet you mm -hmm. and come on board as a Pilates instructor uh, at Happy Body where you were already a practitioner um, in Asheville and we're opening this lovely studio built on the premise that uh, movement and orthobionomy go hand in glove mm. and you could run a business from the principles of orthobionomy mm -hmm. and I thought wow I really dig the way this works <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so became a client of yours mm. um, while still teaching and loved getting to 
see your clients come in and out and see their changes and witness their process and just feel, again, those principles, I was used to say, ooze up through the floorboards and support (laughs) us all. I love it. And uh, then you became, you were already studying to be uh, an instructor, but then you became one. And I said, of course, I'm going to take classes with you, Jessica. (laughs) You're amazing. But I'm not going to become an instructor. I mean, a Uh, practitioner. uh Uh-huh. And uh, after two classes, I jumped on board and filled out my SOBI paperwork and said, yes, I want to at least pursue the practitioner training program. And um, gradually, here you are. Here I am. Got myself (laughs) over the hump of fear that we all have when we're learning a thing that will never be the kind of practitioner or electrician or professor Mm. or whatever that our mentor is Mm. and um, (laughs) in orthobionomy that was actually so beautifully supported I felt supported in my learning of that through the program because Mm. over and over and over again it emphasizes and you as my mentor helped me embrace and embody that each of us has to do it our mm. own way. Otherwise, it isn't orthobionomy. That's right. And, it's required. Um, <laughs> it is. Yeah. And and thankfully supported, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time. It is it is both necessary or required and mm. um, we're taught how to feel supported mm-hmm. in cultivating uh, cultivating that capacity. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love it. So, Bring yeah. it full circle already. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> So you are practicing now in Columbus, Indiana, and what is your typical kind of client load and types of clients that you see in your practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Columbus is an interesting town. It is small town, Indiana, but there is a Fortune 200 company here in Cummins Engine. And so there are engineers from the entire globe who land here and their families um, sometimes for a lifetime and sometimes for a couple months. Um, so there is a fairly high transition rate of people in and out with the steady undercurrent of mm. stalwart small town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have actually had a pretty wide range of clients, ages as young as, I think my youngest probably was about five, um, up into 80s. I see some clients in their 80s. I see, I'd say definitely mostly women, uh-huh. but many more men than I might have imagined. Yeah. Um, I've only been here practicing two years um, and have, have a good uh, array of type of person. If I had the biggest cluster is probably middle-aged women. Yeah. Um, middle With to all- beyond just... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. All kinds of issues, all kinds of uh, yep, yep. things they come in with. And what yep. is, it, what is and a then, typical week like in terms of how many clients you see and how mm-hmm. full is your practice? How full do you want it to be? What are you, are you meeting your expectations in terms of that? Great questions. Yeah. It didn't take very long till I was at what I would have considered at the time about half capacity, which was 10 about 10 sessions a week Uh and I was teaching um, some Pilates on the side. Mm -hmm. And then just as I 
was um, asked by the studio where I am to teach a little more Pilates, orthobionomy also and it picked up, <laughs> up significantly. <laughs> and um, I was You're seeing... eating your Wheaties every morning. <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, so uh, now a slow week is, is 12 to 15 hmm. orthobionomy clients and a full one is um, more like 20 to 25. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty full. It's pretty full. Yeah. I gotta say, but, um, but it feels like, a I good mean, I will never for you. It does. Yeah. I'm there right now. It, it's, Right now, it's fine. I definitely will continue to seek um, my ever-evolving. It's evolving for mm -hmm. all of us at all times, what balance feels like, right? Mm -hmm. um, ideally, I will eventually cut down on the number of days that I am mm -hmm. at work yeah. and have more clients per day. I think six is probably about oh, nice. five to six yeah. is about my my systems preference. Yep. And I, I learned early on that I require at least 15 minutes between clients. Nice. Yes. Just the way my system runs, my clock works. Yes. It's I could reset. Yeah. Yeah. Clear yeah. the space, like to... clear your own energy. Yep. Mm. Jot down notes. If they do run over, yep. then there's no. that cushion. You know, I don't need to rush them That's out right. during their processing. Yeah. I love um, that. But that does make for a longer day that I have sure. to, you know, if I'm building in 15 minutes between every client, suddenly three clients and there's 45 minutes extra sure. well, on a day. So you got to eat in there too. And, you know. <laughs> and that's another thing. I really like an hour and a half for my lunch. Yeah. I just, it, it does not always happen. Right. But actually, there are very few days that it does, but I'm. <laughs> I really prefer all that intention. All that intention. <laughs> that's right. So that's pretty amazing that you've built a pretty full practice in only a few years. Um, what do you feel like has been most helpful in getting new orthobionomy clients into your practice? Um, definitely where I landed has helped tremendously. So I landed in a lovely little studio. I have the, the best luck with good studios mm. um, <laughs> where I as I had mentioned can teach a little bit of Pilates and then all of the clients of this studio well-established studio here in town yoga and Pilates mm. and a bar walk right by my door every day and right. they may see the in session sign up or they may have class with someone who says oh yeah have you met the there's someone here that mm. she does this thing it's not massage but I saw you holding your shoulder and maybe you should talk to her. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, so absolutely word of mouth. I have given out a few, you know, courtesy passes here and there. I'm able to piggyback on if the studio runs a special to get more clients, I can say, Hey, I'd happily throw in a discounted mm. intro session or, you know, we did a little challenge for the studio clients and I said they get a, either a free half hour or a half price full hour anybody who oh, that's great the challenge yeah um, but I have not had to spend a single marketing dollar on a print oh, ad wow yeah and that's the benefit of a small town you know there's mm -hmm. where small town Indiana works in your favor that's right because people tell people the things and the power of the work yeah. right like orthobionomy yeah. engenders that self 
uh, recognition, of course, and then that um, empowerment piece yes. of, no, I, I have agency over this. And guess what? So can you. Yeah, exactly. And that's powerful that's to hear from huge. somebody. Well, and yeah. I think that that really is small town or big city. I really think mm-hmm. that that is the way that we are going to continue to build and share this amazing work is is through word of mouth because it is an experience-based, yeah. relationship-based modality and, uh, and, and therapy. And I think that a, a print two-dimensional ad can't ever do it justice. You may... You may pull in a few people who may be intrigued by the work, but but nothing uh, nothing speaks quite the volumes as a, as a word of mouth testimonial does. So I love to hear that from people. It's like, oh yeah, that it does work. It just takes a little time, and I think it also takes a practitioner to continue to show up and hold the space of intentionality and presence and clarity you know of their of their practice for yep for that to ring true so that's great to hear that um okay last question what what do you feel like are some of the challenges in your practice right now um i oh man (laughs) how long do we have yeah right (laughs) (laughs) that'll be the next segment (laughs) oh my goodness um I mean, forever and always my own patterns. Yeah. Uh, the comfortable ones, the uncomfortable ones, the, the beating myself up ones, mm. the, you know, always pri- practicing on myself, the embodiment of the principles, mm. leave the judgment of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously of the client at the door mm-hmm. never to mm-hmm. bring in but um of myself too then right so yeah. notice my patterns okay well there I was again doing that same old thing right. wonder if I could try something different without having to tread the path of yeah oh why were you doing that yeah. again you know or force it right or force it yeah mm-hmm. yeah That's yeah right um that is a challenge. Still the, the balance, you know, achieving balance and holding space for the fact that I can consistently believe that the balance that I want is attainable. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I will say, you know, I'm in the studio, but I am an independent contractor. I have my, you know, my Mm -hmm. practices, my, practice and it can be a challenge to run the whole thing yeah you know yes for sure many hats that you have to wear to to do the business side of things as well as the the practitioner side of things many different parts of your brain (laughs) all of them at once yes Yes. overstimulated yes exactly (laughs) talk about cultivating capacity right here we are yeah how many hats can we wear yeah it's good it's very good well that is fabulous well thank you so much for chatting and being able to dive deeper into these topics that i think we're all interested in i'd love for you to take a minute and let any of our listeners know where they can find you if they're in the Columbus, Indiana area. 
and if you oh. have other website or social media accounts that they can connect into. That's awesome. Um, I am in motion well-being, no hyphen on well-being. So in motion well-being, that is on Facebook as all of that, in motion well-being, or I am for in motion well-being. Um, my email is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at inmotionwellbeing.com. And I just want to thank you, Jessica Mark, for getting this conversation rolling and for being the champion you are of orthobionomy. Back at you. It takes a community. So I am grateful that you are part of the community and I'm grateful for all the work that you are doing in Indiana and the globe for that cause. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for engaging in conversation with me. And for all of our listeners out there, if you are looking for classes or practitioners in orthobionomy, please visit the Society of Orthobionomy International website, which is ortho-bionomy.org. You can find lots of great information there about things happening all over the globe, really. If you want to connect to me or orthobionomy in Asheville uh, work, we are, our website is orthobionomy, no dash, orthobionomy, one word, dot net, orthobionomy.net. Our Instagram, we can be found at orthobionomy, A-V-L, and our Facebook is at orthobionomy, A-V-L. I have so enjoyed our conversation, and I look forward to diving in deeper on our themes around cultivating capacity in the future. Thanks so much, everybody. Signing off for today.